Morrison just doesn't get it. Floods follow fires in New South Wales as climate changes. JobKeeper ends this week and Rat Island recovers. This is The Week on Wednesday. Hello and welcome to The Week on Wednesday. I am Ben Davison and with me, as always, is the phenomenon that is left-wing thought, left-wing writing... Just general engagement with the cosmos. Van I'm Batten. so into you. How are you today, Van? I'm, I'm kind of tired. Because yeah, you're writing a book, right? I'm writing a book, a book which is under an embargo, which means we can't talk about it. We can't the, talk about it at all. The details publicly, but I am writing a book, and my Lord, am I tired. Yeah, so it's a big it's a big undertaking. It's it, a big undertaking. It, it, it is. And it I is. know, And I know that our listeners really appreciate you taking the time every week to be part of the week on Wednesday and to promote the week on Wednesday and engage with people's comments and questions. I know lots of people reach out to you throughout the week about the podcast, so I know that they really appreciate that. Uh, to be fair, as we both know, this is like going on a date for us anyway. <laughs> this is like... This is our date night. Yeah, this is date night. It's like, oh, I can't wait to talk about macroeconomics with Ben. Oh. <laughs> with the dog sniffing around. To be, fair, to be fair, everyone, this is sort of what our first date was like. That's what it was, wasn't it? <laughs> It wasn't a shed, it was a loading zone, but still. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Together ever since. Ever since. Now, there's a lot going on, obviously, at the moment. And, you know, the first thing that I want to talk about, and because the whole nation is talking about it. Is Is it about how terrible Scott Morrison is? He just doesn't get it, does he? Oh, no, he really doesn't get it. He is so far out to sea. It's not even a boat anymore. And, and, And so, Van, just can you tell us a couple of things that have happened? So yesterday there was this... This press conference, right? And and he he didn't quite cry. I think he was trying to, though. Right? He was. I, it seemed, and I only say this as somebody who went to drama school. Yeah. It did seem that he was running some subroutines to try and make himself cry. A lot of looking down. A lot looking of down. A lot of emotional pausing between words. Yeah, yeah. Anybody who's ever seen an Anthony Hopkins movie knows that you know it's an emotional part because he puts spaces between the words um, and that's what Morrison was doing and to me it just came across as completely disingenuous now yeah. obviously um, I'm of this particular subject matter I find very upsetting yeah. as listeners of the show know uh, the story of the alleged incident in Parliament House involving Brittany Higgins is horrific and is on everybody's mind Absolutely. because we keep hearing more details and of course what happened on Monday was that the Attorney General's very good friend, Peter Van Onselen, mm-hmm. decided that he would revive some claims that Sam Dassiari had made in 2019 mm. about nefarious goings-on in Parliament House. And two years ago, Sam, uh, obviously at the end of his political career, was spilling the tea on how the meditation room in Parliament House was very popular for mm. what I believe for known in French as les liaisons use and um, all kinds of naughty business. And these allegations were extended to include some rather shocking video of Liberal Party staffers, and I literally never actually thought I would be saying this in a breaking news context, masturbating on desks in Parliament House. So a Liberal Party staffer had videoed himself Mm. masturbating on the desk of the former um, Liberal Party whip, which is very powerful, important. And we only found that out 
today, who in, in fact, who it actually was. Oh, no, Nola Moreno. Yeah, Nola Moreno. I think we knew Morrison, a... Morrison dropped that out in a press conference today. Oh, I think it, oh, I had heard that it was Nola Moreno, but oh, I, I don't know if right. officially. I don't know if there's a difference. Anyway, um, these boys, these frat boys, basically, Tory frat boys, yeah, yeah. who were working in Parliament House, thought this was hilariously funny, the masturbating on a woman's And they desk. shared it around, didn't they? They shared they it. sent it to themselves and each other and other stuff. What a laugh. What japes. What what just, you know, old school, young liberal hijinks they were up to. And, of course, this comes out. And there were other things, too, about sex workers being brought into Parliament House, mm, in a pro mm. whatever. And, um, and... It just, you know, it landed like a bomb in the middle of all of the allegations that have mm. been going on that this is the attitude of these boys, mm. the boyos, running around Parliament House. And, of course, this sort of sensationalised material was aired on Channel 10. Then the ABC shows a follow-up to the Brittany Higgins story mm. about where they have one of the security guards going on record, the security guard who was there that night and who checked Brittany Higgins in and gave their, you know, their the record, version, of, their events, version yeah. of events and said, you know, that they're not empowered, the culture of Parliament House is that they don't intervene, that they're told that if somebody's got a security pass, they can just go straight in, yeah. you know, and to not query anything. This all happened at 2 o'clock in the morning. And the bit that... I think pushed a lot of people over mm. the edge was that the security guards were watching Brittany Higgins be checked in mm-hmm. and gave a report that, and they've a group of them have verified this, mm. that Brittany Higgins was so drunk she had to take off her shoes to put them through the you know mm. the gun detector machine, metal detector, metal yep, machine, yep. the gun, whatever, and she struggled to put them back on and yeah. it took her between five and ten minutes to get her shoes back on. And she didn't put them on. She, they they no. told her to put them on when she got upstairs. And they and she, so she carried them. And all I could think was they weren't the only people there who were watching her struggle with those shoes. And that's what Morrison's press conference was supposed to be about, right? Those okay, two, so two events. he was supposed to be addressing these revelations about the masturbation video. Mm. I can't even. I just, I just can't. At which point do you go? At which point do you go? This is the thing I'll do at work. This is an appropriate oh, way. It's clearly inappropriate, right? Like it's clearly inappropriate. Just off the chart. If you were in any other, and they sacked him, they yeah. have sacked the guy. Although Michelle Landry apparently um, thinks that's not entirely fair. Oh yeah, and that happened before Morrison's presser yesterday. Was Michelle Landry came out, and she's a Liberal MP. Mm. Not that I expect anyone to know who she is, but she can be, you know, she can be reliably called upon to say things that are unbelievably inappropriate. And she expressed, you know, her sympathy for the desk master. Loves his job. That's what she He said. loves his job. He loves his job a bit too much. And yeah. all of his friends also love his job. And I don't understand why his friends are also not losing their jobs. I mean, this is a yeah. cultural problem that the Liberal Party has. And as I said in numerous fora, like I went to university, I saw this kind of behaviour from young Liberals back then. I was saying, to, uh, does everybody else remember what they were like? Oh, yes, over decades, oh, in every mm. state, mm. on every campus, in every community that gets exposed to 
this. We know that this frat boy behaviour is a Liberal Party thing. So how did Morrison address it then in his press conference? Well, he didn't. He put on the tears, crocodile tears came out and he told... Loves his mum and his Loves his mum. Loves his, his mum. I was like, well, that marks you out as a unique individual. You love your mum. It's incredible. Or are you going for an everyman vibe? Because here's some news, Scott Morrison. You're not an everyman. You're the Prime Minister. And, oh, yes, I'll never let my daughters down. I'll never let my wife down. He actually stood and I just... You, you can hear the rage. Like, the rage is very, very difficult to suppress because there was a line where he said, you know, I, I want women to stand with me. He wants women to stand with him. Why are we? Sta- why are we standing with him exactly? And of course, in the context, the, the reason why this was so enraging is not only did we get the the emotional pausing between words and "I love my children" and you know and the. This garbage, is all up the front, this right? ongoing garbage. Yeah, this is all up the front. So it's front end loaded with I'm so emotional. Yeah. And then yeah. there's this switch where he gets asked a question about the revelations on Four mm, Corners, mm. you know, that ver- that do suggest that people know a lot more than they've been letting on. And of course he's asked, How do you not how did you not know that this has happened? Yeah, you know, metres away. He's off the Prime Minister office is not a long way. And the involvement away. of very senior ministers and ministerial mm. staff and in the context of an election, and these are things that somebody gets stole. And, of course, um, and then he pivots, and it's a journalist from News Corp, which is what I just couldn't understand. His natural allies, his conservative confrères, and he attacks the News Corp journalist going, ah, well, you know, like I've heard that there are allegations about an incident that took place at, you know, your place of work. (laughs) Yeah, uh, well, I remember he said it involved a woman in a toilet in your place of work, and there was a line about um, people in glass houses. Yeah, people in glass houses. And he's smirking. The smirk yeah. comes out, the oh. Morrison smirk. And it's like you don't you don't smirk in a story about somebody's no. sexual assault. No. That's not that's not what you do. If this is an incident, and of course News Corp have since come out and said that they have no knowledge and of Morrison's, this, and Morrison has apologised. The apology came out at ten past seven last no, night. Ten past eleven. Oh, man. sorry. Ten past eleven. I must have misheard. Yeah. Ten past eleven at on night on Facebook. Oh, right, <laughs> was, as you do. It, it, it's one of the most unprime ministerial announcements I think I can remember. Frankly. Oh, it's just so enraging. And yeah, so he, so this incident that no one can verify that he's since apologised for mm, becomes mm. a gotcha moment. Ha ha! I'm the prime minister. Gotcha, haha, what about your own sexual assaults? And it just affirmed everything that people have been saying. He's out of touch. He doesn't listen to women. He has absolutely no context for understanding what's going on. He, I, I keep thinking of that quote from Raiders of the Lost Ark from Belloc, who, by the way, is the bad guy, yeah, who yeah. turns to the Nazis, who, just so everybody gets this straight historically, are the really, really bad yeah, guys. Nazis are the bad guys. And In he, every context, they're always the Nazis the bad guys. are the bad guys. And Say this he, every episode. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and Belloc, they, at an archaeological dig, and Belloc goes, you would use a bulldozer to find a child. China Cup, and that I and that's how I think of Morrison at the press conference. It was a massacre. It was a self massacre. Yeah. He massacred himself. Like all of a sudden, all the things that people have been suggesting, people have been implying, people have been saying in their communities, in their workplaces, friend to friend. I mean, you and I know we live in a fairly conservative community. Mm-hmm. How 
outraged by this kind of behaviour. Like, it's just not on. My 79-year-old mother was screaming at the television and the neighbours heard her. My mother's in New South Wales and they thought there might have been an accident because of the flood situation. And my mother was just at the TV watching this happen in real time. And you could see the disgust of the press gallery journalists taking place over social media. And you and I were discussing this the other day about how you now have a core of women who work in the media, who are in the press gallery, who are in every newsroom in Australia, who are familiar with the protocols of of gender dignity mm. and respect and how we appropriately talk about things like sexual misconduct and um sorry about the ping, about sexual misconduct, about how we talk about sexual assault and all of these things, and the cultural disconnect between the overwhelming experience of Australians in their workplaces and what's going on in Parliament House. Well, Parnell McGuinness, whatever her name is, I can never get her full name properly, but um, she's a conservative commentator. Parnell Palm? Parnell Palm? Parnell Palm McGuinness. You know, she's a conservative commentator and... And she wrote a piece about how Morrison isn't doesn't it's not Morrison's fault. He just doesn't have any women around him. And and you know, I saw this and went, Well, that is his fault. He selects his office, he selects the people he's surrounded by, he's the leader of a political party. If there aren't women involved, who else is responsible? Let's just do this by the raw numbers. Only eighteen percent of the Liberal Party federal caucus, these are their federal representative representatives in Parliament, are women. Eighteen percent. And for it's decades. Poor. For decades, we have been told by the Liberal Party that they don't need quotas because everybody rises on merit. And I wrote about, you know, I've Mm. actually been writing about this for years because I wrote about it with Julie Bishop. You know, Julie Bishop told everybody that, you know, she didn't need feminism Mm, and it mm, wasn't mm. valuable in her lexicon and they didn't need quotas and they didn't this. Well, look what happened to Julie Bishop. The boys turned on her and essentially deselected her from the leadership in a conversation they didn't even invite her to. You know, and what happened to her was, I mean, it's just jolly, jolly, jolly. Like, and of course, one of the people who was staunchly against quotas, and there was some footage floating around online um, from a few years ago where he's talking about, hey, you know, we, we in the Liberal Party are against quotas, and you know, Labor's got quotas, and look at the other, look at them, and look what it's done. Yes, to them. look at them. Look at what's quotas and, and done to the good, Labor Party. It's not a good look. And the person who said this was Erica Betts. Erica Betts. Well, we'll get to Erica Betts in a moment, but I just want us to have a moment, especially because they've been so vocal in the mm. past few days to to look at you know how quotas has not have not worked for Labor. Tanya Plibersek, one of the most popular politicians of the country. Oh, Penny Wong, Senator Jenny McAllister, uh, Jed Carney, Peter Murphy, Anne Arley, like Susan Templeman. There have been some extraordinary Katie Gallagher, extraordinary performances mm-hmm. from Labor women in our the media. Own, our own federal MP Catherine King. Catherine King. All of these women have been coming out and speaking to this nonsense. Mm. Like Peter Murphy did an extraordinary speech the other day. I think I mentioned on, on the last show about the, oh, we'll just get women who are in abusive situations to dip into their super, oh, yeah. you know, which has since been shelved. And yep. I think Peter's speech about it was probably one of the reasons. And I spoke about that on the uh, weekend wrap for anyone who wants to hear more about the uh, that awful superannuation policy that the Morrison government has now abandoned. Have uh, totally abandoned. And you have these women who quotas have allowed to get into parliament. And this is another uh, point that I was making, that if you look at 
the Liberal women, the 18% of Liberal women in Parliament, is that those women have to placate the male, the mm. you know, overwhelmingly male caucus in order to get a foot in the door. So you get women who essentially socialised into supporting these, you know, these crazy behaviours that go on. And we've known about this for a really long time. Look, that statement from Michelle Landry, oh, we've really got to feel sorry for a man who masturbates on a female colleague's desk. Awful. A female superior. Like, and it, it just... And it, and it goes to, as well, the, the, the reality of this cultural scenario means that progress is held back or it's not actioned, right? So there's there's the there's the respect at work report that was done um, that, that the Liberal government commissioned, that the Australian people have paid for, that was done fifty five recommendations. Yeah, and and then fifty five and they haven't enacted them. Four hundred and thirty days or something I saw today is how, how long the government's had these recommendations and done nothing. The union movement said let hey let's get on and do this Business groups are saying, hey, what are we doing about this? You know, the opposition, Labor is obviously saying, what are we doing about this? And the Morrison government, you know, with only 18% women in their caucus and seemingly no women around the Prime Minister in a professional capacity, just don't see it as as important or relevant or a priority. Well, this is the thing. I mean, you and I have discussed reports before about how the more diverse your uh, the leadership of your business or your mm. community organisation or any kind of, you know, human community. If the leadership is diverse, you're more productive, you're more effective, and in business terms, you're more profitable because you have more perspectives and you therefore speak to more people. Mm. Mm. I'm just surprised that uh, Scott mm. Morrison doesn't read the HBR as, de- <laughs> you know, with the de- dedication that you and I do because then he might be more on top of it. He has apparently come out and said, oh, look, we've tried it the non-quotas way and maybe quite maybe quotas are the way to go. And, of course, we've known for years. They have heaps of quotas in the Liberal Party. They have quotas for National Party representation. They have quotas for state representation. They have quotas for factional representation. These are all things yeah. that they you know, negotiate without thinking of them. But now we're in a situation where their under-representation of women means that you have a Prime Minister speaking about the most desperately solemn topics in, in social conversation. Like, sexual assault is a horrific thing to talk about. You know, sexual misconduct at work is an awful, uncomfortable Comfortable, terrible, disrespectful thing to engage, mm. and making himself look like an absolute clown, an absolute, absolute clown. And yeah, it's like shocking, this is, it? they have created the burden for their own back. We are where we are because they have brought us to this moment. And of course, women are outraged. Why wouldn't women be outraged? And politically, it's a gift for the Labor Party because they don't have these problems. They're not scared of going Mm. out to meet the women on the Parliament House lawn. They were there. And like I said, some of the speeches that have come out of the Labor Women's Caucus, I mean, they are really powerful branding for the Labor Party because everybody's seeing from the same sheet and women are being given the space to speak to their own issues with legitimacy, with merit, because it's quite clear they all earn the right to be there. And it's been really interesting because at the start of all of this, you know, five weeks ago or so, you know, obviously this goes back a long way, but when 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 this sort of round of of fury and and um 
exposure started five weeks ago. Uh, Morrison tried that kind of glass houses thing on the Labor Party that he's tried on the media as well, right? And and Albanese and, and Plibersek and, and all the Labor people moved said, immediately. Yeah, and said, name names, bring it on. Yeah, let's do let's do that. If there are there are issues we need to address, let's let's address them. And I think that was a surprise uh, to the government because they're from a completely different culture. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like you tell me that Tanya Plibersek doesn't know that a predator is useless in a policy meeting. Like yeah, people who engage those behaviours are political dead weight. They're not the people who you want on your starting team. They're not the people you want to represent your brand. They're not the people who have the, the values to to represent a party as a better prospect for the nation. Why on earth would you want to hide them or protect them? And yet we have Morrison and this total garbage, like, of, oh, well, you know, people in glass houses and everybody does it. Oh, I mean, it's shameful, it's shameful, and it's terrible, and it's disgusting and embarrassing, but ha, 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 gotcha, I got the, like, oh, my God. I do apologise to our listeners that I'm not particularly articulate about this today because I've just had enough. Like, I've had a gutful, you know, as Julia Zemiro says. Like, I've just had a gutful of this behaviour. Where have these men been? Like, they've literally been in a men's club and they've watched 40 years of a changing political and social and cultural conversation just whiz them by. Like, it's very clear, Ben, that they don't watch television. That if they're, no. They don't watch television because they don't know about oh, I don't know, female protagonists. And they don't go to the theatre and they clearly haven't participated in any kind of social conversation about representation or inclusion or any of the things that culturally the rest of us accept. Well, well one of the things I want to uh, come to happen today... I'm so angry. But it comes to your point. Oh, you want to talk about Erica Betts? I do. I do want to talk about Erica Betts because it comes to your point, right, that the, the Speaker of the House in Tasmania has been given the boot from the Liberal Party... No. She's now the independent member for she's Clark. Now, yeah, but she was in the Liberal Party until very recently, mm. and she's been given the boot, and she's now the independent member for Clark, and she's still the Speaker of the House. And she used parliamentary privilege to tell a story about spending some time with Erica Betts at an event in Tasmania, and that during this event, Erica Betts... Um, this is what's in her story, um, had been drinking and it was there was alcohol at the event and then he made a series of highly disparaging comments about Brittany Higgins, right, and about Brittany Higgins' um, allegations about what happened to her in Parliament House. Do you want me to read from a Sue Hickey MP statement, Ben, because I have it in front of me? Oh, if there's, some selected, if there's some selected passages you think are relevant, yeah. I casually asked the Honourable Senator Eric Betts if the minister allegedly accused of the alleged rape that occurred around 30 years ago was the Honourable Christian Porter MP. The senator quickly responded that, yes, it was the first law officer of the nation, Christian Porter, but not to worry, the woman is dead and the law will protect him. And then he said, as for that Higgins girl, anybody so disgustingly drunk who would sleep with anybody could have slept with one of our spies and put the security of the nation at risk. My immediate thoughts were, this is Sue Hickey speaking, mm. what if this girl's drink had been spiked? And even if she was drunk, wouldn't a caring man see that she got home safely? So they're the, that is what has been entered into the parliamentary Hansard in... And- and my point about Eric Abetz is obviously, if he said those things, which, by the way, he denies. He so. categorically denies categorically it. And denies he so. says that his categorical denial is backed up by the fact that Sue Hickey bought him a coffee um, right. a few days before but, making this statement. But... 
besides all of that, the point that you raise, that they're disconnected from the reality of the lived experience of Australians day to day. Eric Betts, as we know, campaigned against equality for decades. Oh, for decades. He has campaigned for retrograde social positions, economic positions, to suppress the rights of working people. So the, the fact of the matter is, for Senator Betts, that his own behaviour creates a set of circumstances where someone can get up and say that and people there are some people who are going to believe that now I don't know if it's true or not he denies it he says it's categorically untrue she said it under parliamentary privilege so it's protected speech it is protected speech but the reality is He's campaigning on retrograde positions. I pulled up one of his old statements today because you and I have quite a history with Eric Abetz. I don't like the guy. No. I, I, well, I, I mean, you I and I think, believe I in... He's a backwards human being who, who wants to drag our country back to the he, I, I agree completely. He uh, is an enemy of unions. Yeah. He has been an enemy of minimum wage. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, his notorious organised political opposition to human rights and social equality is a matter of record. Absolutely. He campaigned against the decriminalisation of homosexuality in Tasmania. He campaigned against it. He participated in that campaign. Obviously, he was an outspoken opponent of marriage equality. I found one of his statements today. And I do recommend that you have a good old Google of Erica Betts just to... I mean, in some ways, you'll see how far the community has come. But the media bias does means that we don't hear stories of people successfully converting from homosexuality to heterosexuality is an actual headline attributed to Erica Betts, who is now attempting to convince that he, he is such a great supporter of women and equality and inclusion. So this story isn't going to go away despite Erica Betts and despite Morrison desperately wanting it to go away. In fact, he's so desperate for it to go away. Today he's taken an aerial tour of the floods in New South Wales van. Oh, an aerial tour. Will he be holding a bucket? <laughs> do I do I or do I not hold a bucket, mate? No, apparently he's not holding a bucket. He's touring around in a uh, army helicopter, uh, looking down on the floodwaters, and of course, looking down on them from the position of patriarchal hierarchy that he just values and fawns so much. And 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 this, of course, is just mind blowing as well, right? Because he is a guy who has pretty staunchly backed in the anti-climate science factions of the Liberal Party over quite a long period the of time. The anti-reality faction? Well, yeah, let's call them that because that's what they are, right? This is the anti-reality faction. And the anti-reality faction has now got to face the fact that we've had some incredibly devastating bushfires and some one in 100 year floods in the space of two years. And a mouse plague. And a mouse plague, right? So, I mean, I saw some footage of Cabago from, I think it was about 13, 14 months ago and Cabago today where Cabago was almost in entirely in flames 13, 14 months ago and is now entirely underwater. And and people are saying, well, isn't this about climate change? And, and scientists being scientists are naturally conservative, right? It's it's a funny thing to say because everyone goes, oh, climate scientists are all left-wing people. Well, no, they're actually 
actually quite conservative. Scientists don't say things unless they can prove them. So you're not going to get a bunch of scientists out there going, well, this is definitely all because of climate change. Yeah, if you're into wild speculation, try art or religion. Or like, the Liberal Party. Or the Liberal Party. Right. But if you're into evidence-based reasoning, science could be for you. And this is the real uh, twist in the tail for me, is because people are interviewing scientists and they're saying, so is this about climate change? And scientists are saying, you know, there's lots of different factors here and there's lots of things going on, but 5 to 10% of the rainfall is directly attributable to climate change. So that's that's still a huge amount. You know, when you're talking about over half a metre of water, right, half a metre of water, so 60 centimetres worth, is flooding through people's homes, is washing away their businesses, is drowning their livestock, is destroying their lives and livelihoods. More people die from floodwaters than from fire in this country. And you say... There's fi- been a death in New South Wales today. It's oh. been announced, yeah. Oh, see, and when you think 5 to 10% of that damage is directly attributable to climate change, that's that's on today's reckoning, right? So how can anybody turn around and say, oh, climate change isn't a big deal, climate change isn't something we need to worry about, you know, it's all just scientists being hyper-paranoid or being over-the-top or hyperbolic? Yeah, no. 5 That's, to 10% is not hyperbolic. Nobody wants to tell anybody, hey, we're in the middle of a slow-moving catastrophe. Nobody wants to be the person who has to say there will be floods, there will be fires, there will be, like, these imbalances. There will be deaths. There will be deaths. There will be imbalances in the ecosystem, which means mouse plagues or cricket plagues or all of these problems because they are interrelated. Like, what we have learned through climate science is that these systems are a a complex set of relationships and blowing out one factor, you know, by pumping megatons of carbon Mm. into the atmosphere blows out the others as well. I mean, it's time that we embraced reality in a policy context in this country. The attitude of the Liberal Party has been for years... I think, I mean, you had people like Turnbull. Turnbull totally accepted the yeah. science of climate change. And I think, despite the public positions of a lot of them, that, that most of them do. I mean, you have your loons. Yeah, yeah. But, and, I mean, and in the Liberal Party, you really have some loons. And a shout-out to my friend Senator Conchetta Firavanti wells on that particular front. Um, and... But, you know, they, they get the science, they get the reports, mm. they control the agencies. And I think the attitude is, well, we'll keep sweet with our donors from the fossil fuel industry mm. and mm. all of our mates who want to hold on to these retrograde technologies that are causing us problems because the Labor government will eventually get elected and they're the ones who can make the hard decisions and solve the problems. Like it is active can-kicking Politics and and people are paying the price now, and and will continue to pay the price. And obviously, you know, the, to to anyone who's listening in New South Wales, uh, who who is suffering as a result of the floods, um, uh, you know, you are in our thoughts. Uh, Van's mum is obviously in in New South Wales as we speak. And my mum lost her power yesterday, and she's a seventy nine year old widow who lives on her own, and her daughter is a thousand kilometres away, and it does get really frightening. It yeah. gets really frightening. So our very sincere thoughts 
go to everyone who is um, frightened, who is uh, concerned, and our really sincere thanks as well to the many hundreds and, and thousands of people who are volunteering, whether it's formally with the SES, um, with the, with rescue services, uh, or, or informally just helping their neighbours. Uh, we know in our family that without the support of, of neighbours, we would be even more afraid of what was happening up, up there with Fan's mum. So we really, really do appreciate everyone who's Thank you, mum's neighbours. And of course, all of our emergency services, our professional emergency services, um, you know, the, the reason why those people have strong unions and deserve good conditions is because they are doing work that is hard and dangerous and doing it for all of us. So, yeah, from, from our family to all of yours, we really hope that, uh, that you all pull through and that, you know, things get better in New South Wales really, really soon. Look, uh, I, I do want to get us on to um, our, our final kind of, um, I don't want to call them bad news stories, but our, our final kind of uh, big headline story for this week, which is, of course, that JobKeeper is coming to an end this week. Uh, and, and I'm sure that'll be great for people in New South Wales who are battling floods at the moment, you know, the people who are fleeing in their thousands, because it will include people whose JobKeeper is ending, who are going to find themselves not only in the middle of a terrifying natural emergency, but also in an economic emergency. Well, this is, this is the really just horrible concept now, isn't it, that you're going to have people... Uh, in in New South Wales in particular, but all around the country, roughly a million people who are currently still reliant on JobKeeper for their position um, face this 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 sort of Damocles dangling over them right through really until possibly Monday. I mean, we've heard some reports of people already being told that their job won't continue uh, from next week. When now, come on, Ben. I'm sure given the really pressing political circumstances that Scott Morrison is in, he's booked some emergency sessions with his empathy consultant to practice facial expressions and crying. Well, it seems like that's just about all he's done because, frankly, it's looking like anywhere between 100 and 150,000 jobs will go. So that's 100 and 150,000 people who will be without income. Um, and, and, you know, what really blows my mind about this van is that JobKeeper is underspent. It's underspent by tens of billions of dollars. It's not like, you know, the government announced a program for $90 billion and they've spent $90 billion. No, no, they announced a program that was going to be $140 billion and they've spent 90 That's 50 And rather a lot of it on Jerry Harvey. Yeah. And this is the other element that, that from my perspective and your perspective, I'm sure as well, is is that we've topped up the wealth of billionaires in this country with this program, which was never the intention. You know, I'm, I'm involved with the union movement. I was involved with the union movement at the time who campaigned hard for a wage subsidy to protect jobs, not to protect Jerry Harvey, not to protect Solomon Liu, but to protect jobs. And now Josh Frydenberg comes out and goes, oh, well, unemployment's, you know, just under 6%. Just under 6%? Well, let me tell you what just under 6% gets you. It gets you nothing. It gets you 2 million people unemployed and underemployed, 2 million Australians who don't have the job security or the wages to put food on the table, 2 million of them. The Reserve Bank says wages won't go up again until unemployment is down at 4.5%. We are miles from there. We need a government that's investing in people, investing in jobs. And, and yet here we are 
in a few days' time, the rug is going to be pulled out from under nearly a million Australians. One in 10 of those people is going to end up with their job destroyed. And the Morrison government is going, oh, but we're going to give some more money to Qantas because the CEO asked for it. And that's what we're going to do. Isn't the CEO of Qantas on $35 million a year? Oh, my Isn't that what God. he gets? Doesn't he get some... The, like, at one point he did. I mean, you know, it's so variable when you're a CEO. Does he get paid in like elephants here, made of gold there, or like... Like it know, just... You know, crowns got, obtained from the mines of Venus. Or, but this is this is how backwards this has become. Uh, it's where just, you've got where you've got the the small business representative bodies, the Cosboa, the Hotels Association, the the um, tourism association types, trying to work with the union movement to come up with solutions to protect jobs. Right? They did that on the IR bill. You've seen them out in the last couple of days. Going this this A this big tourism shout package out to isn't Senator, real. Senator uh, Nita Green, um, who I am a huge fan of, yes. has been out in Cairns, you know, with workers who are mobilising to try and have their jobs saved in the tourism industry in Cairns, seeing what's coming. Because like, because this giving money to billionaires and the biggest businesses in town is not the way to support jobs. And you're getting to this point where there's just about everybody else now, just about everybody else, except for Morrison and Frydenberg and the CEOs who, of course, are benefiting from it, realise this is the case. And, And to think that we would have this situation where we are tens of billions of dollars underspent in the program. We have given away hundreds of millions of dollars to companies having record profits and paying out dividends, and at the same time, we're going to smash 150,000 people's jobs and think that this is good economic management, just it drives me to total frustration because it's ridiculous. There's a point I want to make linking some of the subjects in this podcast today. Mm. We have seen how completely out of touch from the past and outside the mainstream Australian conversation is the Liberals have been around the issues of Brittany Higgins, around the issues of parliamentary behaviour. It's the same people who are making economic decisions and environmental decisions are the people who are at least 40 years behind the conversation. Now, if you're not impressed with how Scott Morrison understands the reality of Australians in regards to safety of women, workplace, it's the same Scott Morrison, the same retrograde opinions that inform, that inform his and his government's response to the jobs crisis, to the economic impact of the pandemic, to environmental management and, you know, m- mobilising around climate action. And, and here's a really good solid, immediate example. They announced a policy around giving hiring credits, the hiring credit policy, which was going to mean employers were going to hire all these young people under 35. And we could cut, and they could cut JobSeeker, which they're doing as well, by the way, at the same time, because all these young people would get off JobSeeker into these new jobs with all these employers, we're going to use this hiring credit. Well, this multi-billion dollar program has has delivered less than eight hundred thousand dollars worth of employment. So we're talking we're talking a few hundred jobs, right? Not the tens of thousands of jobs that were needed. And and 
Why is it so unsuccessful? Because Morrison has gone to an out-of-date, old-fashioned playbook that didn't reflect the modern reality of business and lived experience in Australia. And so the hiring credit, oh no, I looked at it. I had some people ask me, hey, can we use this? Can we get some people on board? How can we employ more people? And, you know, racked our brains over it for days, this nonsense policy made up, you know, clearly in the minds of Frydenberg and Morrison on a whim. And and sadly, people just couldn't get access to it. And it meant no jobs. So totally take your point, Van. If you're out of touch with society, you're going to be out of touch on social policy and you're going to be out of touch on economic policy. And that's totally what we're seeing uh, with the Morrison government at the moment. Now, I do want to end on a happy note because there's been some heavy topics. There really has. Really heavy topics. And some of it, you know, I do want to say to everyone who listens to our podcast, I know some of these issues we've touched on a number of times. This is our 30th episode. And we have talked about a number of these issues in a number of the episodes. And and we'll keep doing that. As long as these things are topical, as long as these things are impacting on people's lives, we're going to keep coming back to them because we need to get positive change in this country. So, you know, do stick with us. Do, do ask questions. Do send them in to us um, because it's important that these things have positive results and positive outcomes for people. But Van, give us some positive good news, will you please? Tell me something good. This is so good. Go, please. Okay, so the Aleutian Islands. Yes. All right, they're in the Alaskan archipelago. Yes. And on the western edge of the archipelago is a group of islands that have been called the Rat Islands for some time. And it's not because the Liberal Party just ships their former politicians there, right? Yeah, this yeah. Is, yeah. This, yeah. Is, this, is, yeah. this is not the kingdom they gave to Craig Kelly to make him go quietly. That's not a thing. That's not a thing that's happened. So what has happened there is that a number of shipwrecks in the 1700s right. and then occupation in World War Two, where they had various military things going on, led to the introduction of rats. To these islands, yeah, and rats, of course, are extraordinary. An extraordinary species yep. because they're highly adaptable. Like rats, reproduce really quick, quickly. They evolve. They find anything they can to feed on, and they're just disgusting. You get a basically. couple. You get a couple of rats together in a room, and you got a rat colony. Yeah, then you you got a rat colony. So the rats just wreaked total havoc on these islands mm. because they eat whatever they want, yep. and they smash the local wildlife. Right, smash the local wildlife. Absolutely drove away the seabirds because they were eating things that the seabirds ate, that the seabirds stopped coming. And their eggs too, right? That's yeah, they rats, eat eggs. People forget that rats Ratties. eat eggs and, and baby animals. And baby animals, sorts. invertebrates, all yeah, kinds of yeah. things, and we're just having a fine old time. Well, um, a group of ecologists, University of Candy, uh, California, San Diego, the US Fish and Wildlife Service, when all right, we're actually going to use this as a test case in conservation and species reintroduction and um, eradication and trying mm. to get these ecosystems back on track. Well, what they found out is that on one of these islands um, where they targeted the rat eradication effort, mm-hmm. they have been able to recover the ecosystem in 11 years. That's pretty amazing. It is amazing. It is absolutely incredible because ecosystems turn out to be incredibly resilient. If you try and reverse the damage, you can reverse the damage. And this is an amazing good news story because obviously in a country like Australia where we have these horrific problems Mm. with introduced pets and I know I keep talking about the mice in Wagga but there were a lot of them and there were also millipedes that were accidentally Uh. introduced from Portugal in the 1950s that are the most disgusting things you will remember, I'm sure, the infamous phone call when I called you and said, the floor is 
moving and they're crawling up the walls oh, and it was a fairly intense kind of thing. But when there is a concentrated uh, conservation mm. effort and and a, a, like an ecosystem rehabilitation effort, you can turn it around. And apparently the researchers were amazed that they were able to do it, that they could target these things and get them back on track. And the seabirds have come back because Fantastic. the ecosystem has restored itself. So they've renamed the island. So it's no longer Rat Island. <laughs> it's no longer Rat Island. It's now Howardax. Howardax. Which sounds awesome. Wow. And it's it's really incredible. And we can do it. And right. if we had a government that, you know, cared at all, they would probably go, wow, we've got all these unemployed people. How about we rehabilitate some land? And i got to say, you know, Howardax sounds like an interesting place. It sounds like a place you might want to visit. It sounds like a place you want to know more about. Are you talking about reviving a domestic tourism industry? I'm just then? saying that. Right. I think you're talking about reviving a domestic well, tourism industry. I know what you're like. I'm just saying that Rat Island doesn't make me think like that's a good place to go and stay in a hotel. Yeah, no, I wouldn't I wouldn't go on an eco tour of Rat Island. No. I lived in London. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, yeah. oh, gee, that's harsh. They're harsh on the people of London. Anyone listening in London, not that there's many of you, I'm sure, but, you know, we loved it there. It's lovely. We Look, we do love it, and the rats are part of it. The rats are, you know, part of the history of that town, especially, native. obviously. They're, na- they're native to it. During right? the plague, but when you're coming home from a big night and you see them crawling across the tube tracks, you do start to think about your own mortality. I'm yeah. not going to lie. Yeah. Wow. You loved Rat Island, didn't you? I think that's a I, well. I like that it's now better? Howardax Island. I, I think I think that we can restore um, ecosystems. I think that's a phenomenal. Thing. Eleven years, and it comes back to what you and I talk about all the time. Right? We love science. The environment is something that should be cherished and preserved. Socialism is good, and that we can achieve things. That that human beings can decide to do things, and that if we decide to do it and we commit ourselves to it, we can achieve it. We don't have to pretend like somehow or another the fate is beyond our control and or Rat that, Island will forever be infested. Or that somebody else will take responsibility That's for right. it. That's right. Like yeah. collectively, we have democracies and we can use them. And I think it's a fantastic example. And that's part of the reason I love the good news stories is because so often the good news stories remind, um, certainly me and I hope our listeners as well, that they remind me that if people decide to do something and they take action together, they can achieve these outcomes and often achieve outcomes like with Rat Island that totally change the nature of where they are. It's fantastic. Such a good news story. I'm so happy about that. Thank you so much. Well, that is the week on Wednesday for this week. I wish you could all see his hand gestures. They're so expansive. (laughs) Van, thank you so much once again. Um, I live with you. I'm easy to find. Can I do a little brag? Uh, Ben and I are very happy to announce, which we have on our social media, but we'll do it again, that we are one of Australia's top 10 politics podcasts. And that's thanks to you, people listening at home or Because if you don't listen, you don't get on the list. But also, Ben is doing some community radio with Apple FM Bacchus Marsh tomorrow. They've brought him on. Yes. Um, I have, of course, been hanging out with my friend, the lovely Marcus Paul on 2SM. Uh, 2S, I say it every time. 2SM in Sydney, who has been absolutely rammed with all the flood coverage, which has been incredible. But I'm very proud of Ben for doing some radio, and that has happened because all of you. That's right. And, and thanks to all of you as well, that uh, I'll also be on the Australia at Home web. Uh, web series, uh, Ozpol web series on the uh, 1st of April. No fooling. It's the 1st of <laughs> April, 2 o'clock. Uh, you'll see that on our social media as well. Uh, and, of course, 
again, that's that's because of you. I'm on a panel with uh, Emma Alberici, who is a phenomenal, uh, just a phenomenal person with a huge amount to, to say and contribute. So really looking forward to that. Do tune into that as well. And thank you so much to listening to The Week on Wednesday. We will be back with The Weekend Wrap on Sunday, as always. Uh, and, of course, we will be back with another episode, episode 31, next week. Love you, Vanny. I love you too. Bye. Bye.